0: Today on I'll Have You Know.
1: The Rice Business MBA pushed me to think more broadly and more strategically and, you know, all of the things that you would think an MBA should do. But not having that, I you know, I'm sure I would grow in my career, but I wouldn't have been exposed to higher level thinking and even higher level career paths
0: a self-described poster child for being uncomfortable. Find out why, as we hear from Petra Brandon Isaac, Rice Business full-time class of 2011. She also details her work on the Rice Business Task Force on equity and social justice and her travel goals post-pandemic. Well, today on I'll have you know, we have Petra Brandon Isaac joining us, Imba full-time class of 2011. Petra, thank you so much for connecting with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Well, I want to start with, um, you have had a, a career in, in several different industries, and um, that might be maybe a little unusual for someone who comes to Rice Business. A lot of people have worked in, in one industry. I know you've worked in corporate auditing, executive recruiting, even HR. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your journey and working in different industries?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think it's always a fun thing to reflect on. I, you know, I think a lot of um, my classmates in the past have, or or just people who come to business school, they maybe have had one or two careers. But um, I think my entry point, I had had two. So really, that's about average. But when I think about what I've done since then, it's just been this winding road of of, uh, fun and different experiences. But yes, I Uh, Before business school, I was a corporate auditor. I've worked uh, in banking. I've worked for a really cool technology company. Um, And then I did executive recruiting with a really small boutique firm. And, um, you know, those are really great experiences to kind of build my technical skills and kind of, you know, develop an acumen for detailed observation and awareness for the work I was doing. Um, and then when I became a recruiter, that was really great because I had never had a sales role, but that really taught me just um strong relational skills and, and sales skills, dealing with people, right? Listening to what their actual needs are and trying to match that up with a, you know, with an actual job and um, and not forcing that down people's throats, but really like understanding what is it gonna take to make you happy in, in your work. And so that was a really, really um great experience that I, I still draw on today. Um, and then I went to business school, and that was really funny because I wrote about not ever going to work for anyone ever again, and, and I would do my own thing, and I was just like, yeah, I'll just have a career being an entrepreneur, kind of a serial entrepreneur. And so far, that's not happened at all. <laughs> Everything I wrote about in my admissions essays were um, were focused on entrepreneurship, and so I, again, it, it's funny to look back at that and see how convicted I, I sounded back then, um, so anyway, I get to business school, and I was open to focusing in a new area, kind of having a a background in finance and internal audit, which is still pretty general and broad. Um, but knowing that I wanted to pivot to something, I don't know that I I guess I connected with more. And um, and so in business school, I kind of found this passion for human capital, uh, and and human capital management. And that was kind of the sexy way of saying HR, but it actually really did open my, you know, eyes and, and horizon to other roles that were more strategic and not just kind of what you consider traditional hiring and firing in an HR department. Um, and and so that was really great. So I became the HR lady, I think, during that time <laughs> and kind of got other classmates interested in in that field and space. And you know, and, and kind of opened up a path, a new path for recruitment at the Jones School during that time. So we didn't have recruiters really coming to the school for HR back then. I, I just started cultivating relationships with recruiters that I knew at, uh, at Chevron and at ExxonMobil because they had fellowship programs focused in human capital management. And um, when it was all said and done, I mean, we had Exxon coming to recruit in that space for the first time, and we had a couple of you know folks who who landed jobs in that in that career field. So, you know, I, I thought it was great to bring attention to that. And I left Rice uh, going to work for ExxonMobil as a human capital advisor in the production company. And so um again, this was all really great until a professor called and said, Hey, we need someone with some fresh HR talent uh, to go work for. Her. A, a nonprofit. And really, he was he was saying uh, uh, in the public sector, there was an opportunity to lead talent acquisition and uh, for a big nonprofit. And so once he sold me on the role, then he told me what the, what the organization was. And it was HISD, which is the seventh largest district in the country and, you know, a very large employer here in Houston. And I was kind of sold. I, I thought, oh, this is, you know, I care about education and students and their trajectory and and all of that. And so I I just went for it. Completely different, obviously, than from ExxonMobil. And so that was kind of the start of this really crazy road. Um, but that was my foray into education. And since then, um, I, I've taken on another role, uh, getting a nonprofit uh, started at, in Houston. It was a regional uh, role for building civic capacity, with people in all different industries to better understand the public school system at a policy and system level, and and even to kind of garner support for people to run for office at the school board level. And so that was a really great experience. Um, And from there, I I think one of our funders just kind of reached out and said, hey, would you like to uh, consider a role in philanthropy focused on education initiatives and um, that was probably the best job I ever interviewed for. I never presented a resume, just had coffees with different people. And that's uh, that's how I got my current role. So um, anyway, there's, there's a lot of micro stories within that. But I just, you know, I think I look at all of that and say, do your work, um, do your job that you currently have the best you can, um, really build trust and relationships while you're doing it, no matter how technical the role, because you just never know who. Is watching and who you know who is uh, creating um affinity for your work and, and kind of how you're even building trust for someone to just offer you a position and into a very unknown space and so I think that's that's kind of my biggest reflection on all of this is um, is building trust uh, through your work
0: you've described yourself as a potential poster child for being uncomfortable. Is that a result of the many industries that you've worked in, or describe what you mean by that? I guess I just, you know, when you think about
1: jobs that you you take on, you're generally thinking that you do that that one or whatever set of skills really well, and that's what you're going to get hired for. And I've just gotten hired for things that I have not done before, <laughs> and 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 so naturally, like I think there's there's a desire for me to embrace those kind of roles, but when I get into them, I feel really uncomfortable. And it's mostly because I feel like, okay, this is just completely different than the role I I, I previously had or had ever had in my career. And um, I had a kind of a colleague tell me that I always think, he's saying, I'm always thinking that it's a sign of me doing the right thing or on the right path when I feel uncomfortable, because that really pushes me to, you know, do my best work and so i embrace it from that standpoint where i feel really uncomfortable which means um you know i know i'm going to mess up so i'm not naive to think that like there won't be mistakes made because of uh you know uncharted territory and kind of figuring things out but i'm increasingly comfortable with that and i think over time i've just sort of said that i'm a career generalist i'm not a person that has this um this skill that i've done for 20 years and do it in my sleep. I'm actually someone who is open to new experiences. And so because of that, I realized that there's there's just gonna always be this discomfort because I wanna do my best at something and, and not really um, sacrifice the integrity of that work. And so that's really what I mean by that. And uh, it's, it's really um, helped me navigate when things feel really tricky. I, I really lean on the fact that, hey, I'm supposed to be here. It's okay that it feels uncomfortable pause, reset and 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 do what you feel like you can do best. And it usually already always turns out fine. So um so that's what I mean. It's it's just one of those things. Like I think it's the nature of being a generalist in your career. You kind of have to get used to that feeling.
0: That's great advice. Great, great experience. Yeah.
1: I I I don't know if I'd recommend it for <laughs> for everyone because <laughs> I would love to just kind of do the work in my sleep, come home and then have a glass of wine and watch all the The reality TV that I could possibly take, but that's just not always what's happening in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you mentioned when you went to Rice Business, you focused or you thought you would focus a lot on entrepreneurship. What take us back to what brought you to Rice Business initially? So, I, I
1: majored in finance and I went into internal audit mostly because I did not really know how I wanted to focus with my finance degree. And so, Um, internal audit was one of those broad uh, career paths that you could do a lot of different things and learn a lot about something and and create, create that breadth of experience. So I did that for about four years in two different organizations. And then in doing that, I pivoted over to executive recruiting as well. But then at some point I was like, okay, what else is out there? And what's, you know, how do I figure out other career paths that aren't so obvious to me? And so and um, that's really when I started seeking out an MBA degree. And really Rice was just, it was interesting because I'm from Houston, born and bred here, you know, all throughout high school. And then I go off to college in a very remote <laughs> town and state, Iowa State University, which was really great. It was a unique experience for me. I cherish it um, for many reasons. But I, I said that I wanted to do my MBA in an urban city, a large city. I just kind of overlooked Houston because I'm from here and I knew I'd come back or I, I felt that way. Um, So I really didn't look at Rice so intentionally. And it, it wasn't until I went to this like world MBA tour and one of the staff members there in admissions was just really nice. He was the only one at the table at the time. I was just, you know, I walked up and talked to him and he was so friendly and there was just this huge amount of warmth <laughs> that came from, his conversation and I know that sounds really cheesy, but that mattered to me because I had been talking to other uh other institutions, uh representatives, and you know, I kind of felt like a number. And so I think that said a lot to me then and I immediately put rice on the list and pretty close to the top of the list at that point. And then it was just kind of a a cultivation thing at that point. They were really great about reaching out. Um I I just, you know, I enjoyed the experiences that they created for uh, diverse students at the time, like being able to see other people that looked like me in a very prestigious university was really important. And, um, and so they just, you know, by the, by the time it was all said and done, I think one of the funniest things I remember is I had gone to the admissions office so many times or just, you know, asking questions or just having like a nice sit down. And it was, I don't think it was like overkill but it was enough to where they were like oh yeah Petra so one day I came in the office and I think the admissions director I heard her say is that Petra out there because she recognized my voice and I was like (laughs) okay I hope this leads to me getting admitted because this is hilarious that she (laughs) you were infamous before you even started maybe infamous is the word and that's yeah you know I just I appreciate it the way that they um went through the process of selecting people who had a really uh, brought a a real holistic um, thought leadership type of energy to the school and not just kind of oh yeah like they're all these smart kids but they're all just kind of like they have the highest uh, gmat or the highest you know whatever and there's not a lot of substance and I really felt like I was in a class of individuals who had such diverse, um, experiences and perspectives and just a great, just a great group of people. So I am, that's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life to, to go to rice.
0: When you look back on the experience, you know, you've had time to reflect now t- 10, 10 years, what are maybe some of the highlights that you found were re- you know really transitional and just helping you both personally and professionally?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'll start with professionally because I, I think it's, brought me a lot. Um one, I will just say perspective and thinking. Um, some of my favorite courses or um marketing research. I mean, I really love that class because one, we had an, a hilarious professor who just was was great at like making things, just dumbing things down to the point where you're like, well, sure, that's that's why you need to like really focus in on creating a survey this way. Like he just talked about uh, market research in such a really tangible um, and palatable way. And it was, that was great. And so, you know, in the work that I do in community now, I mean, everyone's surveying people and you can survey people all day and still not be able to use the data for, um, you know, that's meaning in a meaningful way. And I just remember things from that class. Um, I remember my communications class. That was another one where, you know, a lot of students kind of um, downplayed the impact that, that that class would have. I have found that over the years, as you move up in your career, communication skills are really uh, core to moving the needle on the work, any type of work that you do. And so um, I've, I've really drawn a lot from from that class and just, you know, just really perspective on business and that it's not a one size fits all and and just you know, the Rice Business MBA pushed me to think more broadly and more strategically and, you know, all of the things that you would think an MBA should do. So I, re- I reflect on that. That's how it's really helped me professionally, because be, not having that, I, you know, I'm sure I would grow in my career, but I wouldn't have been exposed to higher level thinking um, and, and even higher level career paths the way that I did while there. Um, i think personally i i walked away with amazing friendships and a family and a network that I, I feel like i can always go back to and i've been really connected to the rice community but also to friends that i met um, we're on group meets whatsapps all day we're you know we've celebrated milestones uh, together and that makes me feel really great i loved my undergrad experience but i didn't Walk away with the same network that I have through Rice, and so that's why it's meant so much to me, um, in a on a personal and professional level. But that personal one really stands out because it's a small network, but it's a mighty network, and I just feel fortunate to be a part of it.
0: I t- I totally agree, and that's a good point. Really looking at undergrad versus the um the graduate um relationships and network and the way that everybody's still. Very cohesive, and I know interviewing different people in the podcast, even even different classes. But it's almost like within the Rice alumni network, nobody Rice business alumni network, nobody meets a stranger. And you can have two alums that don't know each other, but a common friend, and say, "Hey, you guys need to connect because of this or that that, that you have a shared interest." Or um, it's wonderful,
1: yeah, yeah, it really is. And um, you know, I'm sure many schools have that, but I think. To have that in the city that I grew up in, and you know, I, I will remain in. I think for the rest of my life. Um, is just I think that's even more important for me. So,
0: I want to ask you. Um, you have mentioned that you have served on the task force on racial equity and social justice at Rice Business. Can you talk a little bit uh, about that experience and and what it meant to you?
1: Sure. So I am. Um, I should probably start by saying, like, I don't. Uh, well, as I move up in my career and just you know kind of engage with other leaders, there's so many people on so many task force and boards and all of that, and I really try to be selective about which ones I I join because um you know I just want to be able to make some type of impact. And uh, when the dean was was seeking uh different voices for this task force, I I certainly said yes because I care about the rice um school and the work that it continues to do. And I said, sure, I'll join in and figure out how I can contribute meaningfully. And I once heard someone, you know, remind an audience to be your authentic self. Your narrative is unique and necessary. And so sometimes I wonder, okay, well, if I see all these other really smart people, like what, what different perspective am I going to bring? And I sort of had a little bit of that thought on this task force, mostly because I, I haven't really served on higher education boards or, or, you know, or task force in the past. Um, I think for me, when I joined, I just really hope to use my voice to try to lift up and share a perspective on what I've seen work, what I haven't seen work. I mean, this has been a, an incredibly difficult time to have this conversation. I'll, I'll just pause and say, like, I appreciate any organization and institution who has been working a long time to elevate equity work. And I, I mean, equity, like in addition to diversity and inclusion, because there is certainly a difference. And I think more people are are becoming aware of what that difference is. Um, and so anytime to focus a conversation on equity is the right thing to do in the right time. Um, but in, in this moment, it was incredibly difficult after all of the things that happened in 2020 and you know, being courageous to share your voice Um, because there were a lot of, there's a lot of different thinking out there. Everyone is not thinking the same way, even when they're coming together under a common purpose. And so I just use this as an opportunity for me to speak my truth and um, never be afraid to do that. And so I did that at times on the task force and I felt really good about it. So if I didn't walk away, you know, with anything else, but to know that like I shared a perspective that might not have been shared had I not been on a call. And I'll, you know, I think that I think that's important for all of us to lean into. For me, one of the biggest things that I wanted to see and, you know, there's a lot that I would love to see the Jones School move towards in embracing more equitable um, practices. And, and I would want that for any institution. So it's not just the Jones School. But one thing I really hope to see was just the alignment of resource to priority that the Jones School said it would place on this on this topic. We all know aligning time, people, um, money speaks volumes about the priority that you you have around something and so I think while the Jones School has done um, great work to elevate diversity, one opportunity was to elevate the role of an equity uh, leader directly to the dean and that was one of the major recommendations I know I spoke out about, um, others spoke out about as well, and I will say that it, it was really great to see the Dean take action on that in a very short period of time after receiving those recommendations. And so I just appreciate the uh, the, the Jones School elevating attention to racial equity, what that means while um, being a student and also uh, uh, on faculty even, and also as an alum. And I'm just looking forward to how they will uh, approach this work in more intentional and impactful ways. And so the task force was a um, kind of a defined period of time to bring some thought to this work and support the dean in making some um, decisions. And so I appreciate that time. And now I'm looking forward to how the new leaders uh, take on
0: this work. Well, thank you for your important work on that uh, task force. Thank you for acknowledging it. Petra, you've shared just a wide variety of experiences and industries that you've worked in. There are a lot of students who come to Rice Business with maybe a pivot or a transition in mind, but they may find when they submit their resume, a potential employer looks at it and says, well, you've only had experience in this industry. Why would I consider you for a a different industry or position? Given your experience, you've had so much success in, in pivoting and moving into different roles, what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to transition into something different? So I think
1: that's a really great question. I spend a lot of time talking about that to, to people, um, especially because people still think of me as the HR lady. And so they come to me for like that kind of advice.
0: And, um,
1: (laughs) you know, I would say first and foremost is, 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 is you think about, the kind of work you want to do or something that piques your interest, just really spend time trying to get closest to that work and, and as close as possible. Right. So it might not be the thing that you do uh, as a nine to five, but it certainly can be where you spend your, you know, volunteer experience and, and time, um, you know, doing something that, that, you're really passionate about or that you want to really learn more about before deciding to work in that profession or, or space full time. And so I think that's like advice number one, because then certainly you can put that type of experience on your resume through the form of um, leadership experiences and activities. Um, and, and you can talk about it, you know, and, and of course it comes down to like sometimes packaging that on your resume in a certain way. And so I'll, I'll get to the advice around that in a second but yes i'd say get close to the work that you want to do some kind of way whether it's your 9 to 5 whether it's volunteer experience board leadership experience um or just starting your own kind of side hustle to you know to dabble around in it so that's that's number 1 um i think another thing that has really helped me is seeking out mentors and sponsors and there is a difference there too. Um, and just actually, just even before you do that, tell people what you want to do, because you just never know who's going to remember that and call you out of the blue and say, hey, you know, I thought of you when uh, this opportunity came up. And so I think that's it's important to talk about what you think you might want. Um, and, and yes, seeking out mentors, people who do that and also a sponsor who may not be a person in that space, but just a leader or someone who has connections and is willing to vouch for you. Um, that's especially important when you're working for an organization um, you know, or an institution and you develop relationships with leaders who really recognize your potential or not even just potential, like what you're actually doing in the moment. Um, I think that's really important because a lot of times that can uh, make the difference or really just kind of catapult you before anything on your resume or cover letter would. And so I have, like I I mentioned earlier, I think received jobs just because of that. And the resume was kind of like a check the box. Um, It was more about the conversation and kind of the experiences I had that I could talk through in an interview, but that really weren't like glaring on my resume. And so that was also because someone opened the door as a sponsor or a mentor who was willing to reach out and and kind of put in a good word. So I think that's a huge piece and that really just comes down to building relationships with people and always kind of exploring um, with people what's out there and what you'd like to do and making, you know, making that known to people. Um, I think, you know, for, for folks who have done all that or, you know, they're getting ready to do that, but they really still need to get that resume in order. Try to get some help. Like ask people to look at your resume. So many people still don't do that. Um, And, you know, I'd say it's worth a lot of time seeking out some professional help to repackage, especially when you're making a huge pivot and you you feel like that resume is going to um uh, speak volumes to try to at least get you in the door. Um, Because especially as you get, into your career and you have a lot of different sets of skills and no one really can pull a lot from a chronological resume. So you really need, you need a a different packaging. And sometimes that's really hard to do. Most times that's really hard to do yourself. I'd also say networking. I can't, I, I, I already said it and I'll say it again, but just LinkedIn and, you know, anything you can do to really get closer to the people who are doing the work and show up in those spaces you just never know where it leads. I love hearing stories of where people received opportunities out of the blue, and it was really because they showed up somewhere, and you know they just kind of struck up conversation or continued to show up to this place to help. That's, I mean, that's really, I think, where a lot of people get to reinvent themselves, and it, it's an easier path than just doing it based on on resumes. So, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is. Is, is carving out time to do that. Cause I know it can be tough when there's so many other competing priorities, but I think over time, if it, if you're really in tune to what you want to pivot to um, I think you can find that like organically you'll get there if you, if you stay persistent with some of those recommendations I just mentioned. So great question.
0: You have mentioned to me that you really enjoyed traveling and you had a lot of really amazing experiences up until Rice Business. And then Um, post-COVID, you're looking forward to having some other experiences, and one of your goals is to travel more. Can you talk a little bit about some of those past experiences, how they have, you know, enhanced your love of travel, and maybe what are some of the things you'd like to do as we return to life as some kind of a sense of normalcy? Definitely.
1: um, I I was just talking to a friend about this because I just recently uh, turned 40, which is still hard to say at times, but I'm, I'm still embracing it. And so, of course, you can imagine you did a lot of reflection on, oh, my gosh, well, I've had my whole 20s and then my 30s. And when I think about that, I feel really fortunate because my 20s, I mean, they were amazing and they were fun. Um, I love the different jobs I have, but I also got to travel and that was starting in college. I did a study abroad in Italy and it's not like I had my heart set on that. And I'm so glad I I went, but I spent six months in Northern Italy and it was just the most amazing experience. And it was during a time where, um, I kind of needed to, to regroup. I had just like broken up with a boyfriend, I think in college. So that's all, <laughs> that was like the perfect reason for me to just leave the country. <laughs> <That'll do it. laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I really had a lot of time to, to get to know myself. Um, I also got to know another culture. I never traveled out of the country and I really developed an appreciation for how other people live not in the US. And I mean, it's very different. And I love when I can share an experience with people who've been to Europe, and because this isn't just the case in Italy, but just the level of patience you have to develop, <laughs> Be you know, when you're over there, because like we used to try to go to the Tabaki, which was like the corner store. And, you know, they leave for lunch and say they'd come back in an hour, but sometimes they wouldn't come back until like three hours. And we needed to get like groceries immediately before we went to our dorm. And we were just sitting there waiting for the (laughs) store to open again, you know, and it was just because that was the culture of uh, over there being really present with family and friends and whatever they were doing in the moment. And it wasn't so business centric and um, that was just very different. So I, I carry that with me a lot just for a number of reasons. Um, so anyway, that was a, a great experience. And then uh, when I was an auditor, I, I worked for a software company here in Houston, but it was during the time that Enron collapsed. And everyone in finance and finance departments would uh, would be focused on the Sarbanes-Oxley uh. Uh, legislation and just uh, trying to, you know, develop stronger internal controls. And so anyway, I was working for this software company that had shared service centers in Amsterdam and like Australia. And, and so I think I was on the job a month and they were like, can you go to Amsterdam? And I was like, I think I can, I can. And so, (laughs) and so um, I think it was supposed to be for like a two week trip. It turned into like two and a half years. And yeah, it was oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't live there, but I just um, I'd st- I'd stay over there for like eight weeks and then we'd you know come back and regroup and then go back again because we were just un- uncovering so much. It was just a crazy time, I guess, to be in um, you know in that profession and, and and try to figure it out alongside your other colleagues. So that was just that was great. I was traveling in my 20s you know, for free, for work and experiencing another culture in Amsterdam. And I got to go to Australia and just a lot of different places in Europe. So I just, um, when I reflect back on my twenties, I've had some really cool immersive uh, travel experiences, a little less on the leisure side. And so, you know, during your thirties, you're trying to continue to establish yourself and sure you're having fun, but other life things are happening too. And so I was just reflecting back on, okay now that I feel like I'm in a good place with, you know, with maybe career and and other parts of life, like I just want to get back to traveling again. And um, yeah, so I'm another friend's turning 40 and I, you know, kind of pushed through my fears of COVID and traveling and just booked a trip. So I'm excited about that because I really have wanted to get back to, to seeing other places that I've never seen before. And so I am excited about 2021 and all of what the next decade brings. Uh, I, I'm also an avid snatcher of itinerary. So if I hear someone went on a great trip and I really don't want to think about planning it, I just want to get their itinerary and book the same thing. And I've done that several times before and will be glad to do it again.
0: And what's your first destination in 2021? Uh, it's just Playa del
1: Carmen, Mexico. It's, it's a, you know, it's an obvious one for a lot of people, but surprisingly I've never been. <laughs> so it's, so it'll be fun. Well, we hope it's a great trip. Thank you. I do too. I hope I come back in one piece.
0: Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us on I'll Have You Know, Petra, Brandon Isaac, full-time class of 2011. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experiences at Rice Business and since graduating. Thank you again for having me. This was This is a pleasure. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it and let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, David Drugliever, and Christine Dobbin.